Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Good and Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, The Rise of Skywalker is here. But is it any good? The Witcher comes to slay Netflix viewing habits. And what are the best books of the decade? All this and more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald Glass from Pop Culture Cosmos, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, the Lakers Fast Break Podcast, and Game Source. Thank you so much for listening to all of our great programs. But it wouldn't be a PCC Multiverse without my good friend. He is our Poe Dameron of Pop Culture Cosmos. You got to check out what he's doing today at popculturecosmos.wordpress.com, his awesome show, Topicocalypse, and of course, his book, Congratulations, You Suck. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. What's up, man? Hey, hey, just, uh, you know, getting ready for Star Wars. Getting ready for Star Wars, indeed, because it is finally here, the end of the Skywalker saga is upon us with Star Wars Episode Nine. Rise of Skywalker. It is out in theaters at this point in time as this is being heard by everyone out there. It's all over worldwide. Projections are right now to be right around 200 million domestically and about 500 million plus in its first weekend, in its first full week of being out of the box office worldwide. I'm kind of leaning maybe a little bit short of that. And the only reason I say that is two things is because A, there's still, with a lot of people, a bad taste in their mouths because The Last Jedi. And B, which is the most important thing, reviews have come out and already been posted from many outlets. And the Metacritic score, as of this time, I don't look at Rotten Tomatoes because that only gives you a percentage of how many favorable reviews. But the overall reviews on Metacritic are at a around 54, 55, which is one of the lowest metacritic scores for anything in the star wars saga but there are some positive reviews out there that are very glowing for it and obviously the other way around as well so be that as it may you're going to have a review later in the program at the back end for star wars rise of skywalker but i want to hear your thoughts now as you go into it what are your hopes as we end the skywalker saga i hope for closure i hope for a movie that is you know, this is going to sound, I guess, weird, but I just, I hope that uh, it's it's something that ends on a high note, the films that I loved watching growing up. You know, Last Jedi still kind of makes me nauseous thinking about it. And, uh, you know, Mandalorian has done a great job kind of washing that taste out of my mouth. But, like, I just, I want to see the characters get their, their due. You know, I want to see it all wrapped up in a way that, makes sense and is not trying to be meta if that if that makes sense kind of like a you know rian johnson had a an interview saying that you know you should never give fans what they want but i mean with star wars i think it's it's kind of important to give fans what they want i mean you can be creative with it if disney will let you but it is important to have you have all these fans who uh, i i just i don't think that star wars can survive another polarizing film I definitely agree with you. It will be very hard if this becomes a polarizing moment in Star Wars lore. And something I want to talk to you about here, you hit it right on the head, my friend, when you said Rian Johnson said, 
don't give them what they want. Well, Star Wars is all about fan service. And the reason why so many people have lined up over the years is because they're hoping for and expecting fan service. And originally in the 70s and 80s, they got nothing but fan service and it paid off in spades. And the basis of that is what you have today. You had a great series in the original trilogy that was produced in the 70s and 80s. You had a lackluster trilogy in the prequels. And now you have not seeing episode nine for me yet. I will not be able to see it until Friday, but you're going to tell us your review later on the program. But I'm going to say right now, putting that aside, so far it's been a mediocre return of Star Wars at best this time around. So at this point, what does Star Wars Episode Nine need to do to go ahead and make Star Wars viable for the long term? Because there's still, according to what you hear from Disney, a lot more Star Wars left in the universe. That's a good question because I know they're they're wrapping the whole Skywalker you know episodes up. So if, if they want to be viable in the future, they need to just do something new. Like, I'm not saying reboot it, like keep the lore that they have, but they need to create a new story, make it revolve around new characters. They need to leave behind what has already been done. You know, we've had nine episodes about Skywalkers. We need something new. They want to make sure Star Wars continues on for a whole other generation. They need a new story. They need to pick up, you know, Star Wars has a, a ton of lore. And they need to pick up somewhere that has no Skywalkers, no Poe Dameron's, no C-3PO's. They need just new characters, a new world, make it take place maybe 100 years in the past or 100 years in the future. It just needs to be fresh. And that's the only way people are going to be interested in Star Wars again, because we have we've been fed the same thing for 11 films and, you know, a whole bunch of side series and cartoons. We need something new. We need something to that's that's fresh, something that's that reinvigorates the saga. We need new. But Josh, this is the way. See, I <sighs> Baby Yoda, Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda. So I'm fine. Like, yes, keep doing your side stories along the main canon line, but for film-wise, like that's why I was so excited about the the DBY's thing and, and Benioff is because I thought we were going to get something, you know, prior to the Knights of the Old Republic or something, or even the Knights of the Old Republic would have been cool, but it's just, it needs to, they can continue on the Skywalker storyline if they want through, you know, their, their side stories or whatever it is, their, their series, the Obi-Wan, the Mandalorian, things like that. But with the film universe, we need something different, something new. We've had the same story rehashed over and over again. We need, something to make Star Wars feel fresh. And it also would be a good place to reboot for a new generation of people to carry on the legacy that we have had through watching Star Wars as, as you know, younger people. Excellent points indeed. And it is my hope that Star Wars episode nine will close out this chapter, so to speak in the Star Wars saga on a good note, because again, the reviews are not all bad out there. The reviews are mixed and all over the place. Indifferent, some good, some bad, some in the middle. It doesn't, you know, it just seems that the critics are all over the place on it. So sometimes that's a good thing for us as fans because we end up liking it more than the critics, as Josh has indicated on more than one occasion and actually written about it in the past as well. So hopefully this will be another case where that is. But then again, we could have a situation where The Last Jedi was reviewed more positively by the critics. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, the polarizing thoughts of the fans out there. And so I'm right now in a point where I just want to see what's going on within the realm of the Star Wars universe. I hope to have more discussion and breakdown in spoilery details, hopefully as early as this weekend, or maybe even hopefully on next week's Pop Culture Cosmos on Star Wars Episode Nine. But for later on in the show, Josh will have a non-spoiler review of Star Wars Episode Nine on the back end. Also as well, it is a reunion, Josh, of National University graduates as Michelle Levis from Wine, Women, and Words. She stops by with her holiday book gift guide and also her choices for the best books you need to read for this decade. How about that? Not one, not two, but three National University graduates on the same show. What do you know? It is the the team up that 
we don't deserve but have always wanted. Absolutely. Shout out to all of our professors there at National University for going ahead and giving us the guidance for things like this and, and allowing us to go ahead and do what we do. So it is, again, Michelle Davis from Wine Women Awards. She's coming up here in a few minutes. But first, Josh, before we head to your review of Star Wars Episode Nine on the back end, and before we head to Michelle Davis from Wine Women Awards here in a minute, we got to talk The Witcher because also on December 20th is a momentous day because not only Star Wars Episode Nine releases in full, but The Witcher comes to Netflix. It is basing itself off the books, influenced a little bit by what we saw in the video games. But right now, it's Henry Cavill as The Witcher. So first off, before we get into the lore and all that, you know, that we obviously want to get into, what's your thoughts on Henry Cavill as The Witcher? Do you believe him when he puts on the white wig and is ready to go ahead and recreate the many movements and styles and mannerisms of what we've seen and heard and read in The Witcher? Yeah, I'm actually really excited about it. Like, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Cavill. I, I like his Superman portrayal, and I liked uh, him in uh, Man from Uncle. Right? He was also in that film, if I remember correctly. Yes, yeah, so I'm just, br- I'm just getting my mustache. Hold on. <laughs> I never actually watched Mission Impossible, so I didn't see how the uh, whole mustache debacle played out. But I think he's a good actor, and just the, from what I've seen in the trailers, I think he, he does do a great job. You know, he has the, he has the, the face for it. He has the seems to have the the physique and the uh, the ability to really hold himself in that role both physically emotionally and he looks like he's a good Geralt you know that's what I'm trying to say he looks like he's he will play that part really well and just from what I've seen the trailers it looks really good as he's you know he's fighting and he's just even in his more monotone scenes because that character is very monotone uh, just if you've ever played the games is a very monotone character. He's has layers, but he appears flat on screen. But once you kind of get to know him, you play the game, you find out more about him. There is a lot more to him than you think. And it, from what I've seen in the trailers, it looks like that plays out very well. And I'm really excited to watch the series when it becomes available on Friday. As am I, my friend, because it looks very interesting. Special effects are kind of hit or miss for me. But outside of that, it looks like it's something that Netflix is putting a lot of love into. Hopefully they will go more into the lore because I have not read the books. I've just played the game and well, I've actually just played the Witcher two a little bit and the Witcher three. So I'm more invested into that end of it, but they said they're not totally discounting what has been played in the video games. They're just getting a lot of influence from that, but they're mostly taking the original style characters and world and universe from the books, which the video games did too, to an extent. So Hopefully, we'll be able to see things that we recognize as gamers out there, but also what Witcher fans that have read the books and played the video games can also recognize when The Witcher comes home to Netflix starting this Friday, December 20th. So I'm looking forward to it as well. I know a lot of other people are. I just think it's going to be something that's a win-win because let's go on what Netflix is doing to combat Disney+, Plus because Disney+, Plus already around close to 30 million viewers already, I tell you right now, they're doing very well, but Netflix is doing a lot in order to stave off people driving away and canceling their Netflix subscriptions because they have The Witcher that's coming out. They already have The Two Popes, The Irishman, Marriage Story, which are all under Academy Award consideration. Then you have Six Underground, which is, well, I'll give you a quick review on that, my friend. Have you seen it yet? No, but I've heard people say it's like good in the way a Fast and the Furious movie is good, which means that it's it's not good, but it's entertaining enough to sit there long enough to finish it. If you don't get a headache from it, because the Netflix just basically said, hey, Michael Bay, do what you do best, but up it to level 10. I mean, there is Michael Bay all over. If you want the quintessential Michael Bay movie, you check out Six Underground because if you want extended destruction, car crashes, car chase scenes, crazy stuff going on, edited shots that are split second here, split second there, you know, all over the place, you know, it'll either entertain you or give you a headache, either which way. But still, Ryan Reynolds is funny enough in this film to make it worth a watch. And I think a lot of other people are liking it too. In fact, a lot of people on social media are already asking for a sequel. So 
this could be a big hit for Netflix. Netflix has scored in the past with marginally good or decent films in the past already. So this could be no exception. And Michael Bay just seemed to have gone crazy. I mean, people were talking about his wild style of filmmaking in the Transformers movies. They ain't got nothing on Six Underground. And I'll leave it at that, man, because it was just wild. Just absolutely crazy. And then, you know, I asked you about this what, last week. Like, I didn't even know that it was a thing until I saw the the trailer for it or and the uh, little snippet online for it. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's – so are you saying that it's not worth – like, if you have nothing to watch on a Friday night, nowhere to go, and that's on, it's not even – it's not worth checking out? Or would you say – No, it is. It is. Okay, yeah. okay. It's very movement, heavily edited, heavily, you know, fast action – not much of a plot, popcorn flick. Sometimes the action gets too all over the place so that it can be mind-numbing to certain people that just don't appreciate that for what it's worth. And I could really see that happening because I can't blame them because his style is an acquired taste. And if you don't acquire it, I can't blame you. But it is something that I think Netflix wants to create as a series similar to what we've seen with Fast and the Furious but it is Michael Bay to the 10th degree. And it is something that is just wild. And, you know, if you're interested in that type of flick, yes, it, but it's not going to be something that is going to be an awards earner of any type or anything of that nature. It's not even close, but it is something that it is a popcorn type film. And if you really want to see an action flick of any ilk at this point in time, that's not Star Wars or Jumanji rated then you know what? I think Six Underground will probably fit that niche for you. For me, it gets a barely passing grade, but just a barely passing one. That's all it does. Well, all right, my friend, that's some thoughts right there. But with Netflix, with all that stuff coming out and all that stuff that is recently out, they're really combating hard Disney+. Plus. What are your thoughts out there on the great stuff going on with Netflix, including The Witcher and also Six Underground, Marriage Story, The Irishman, the Two Popes, or anything else Netflix has come out recently, they're loading up against Disney+. Plus. Is it something as a Netflix viewer you like? Do you like all the stuff that's coming out? Please share us your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. When we come back, it's Michelle Levis from Wine Women of Words. She's going to talk to us about great ideas, as always, with holiday book gift guides for those book lovers in your life. Plus also as well, she's going to talk about the literary reads of the decade that she found the best and most enchanting for her show, Wine Women Awards. So she's going to talk about the books of the decade coming up right after the break. And also, Josh Peterson, as well, on the back end, will have his review of Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. This is the PCC Multiverse. For the latest news and information, analysis and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA, check out the Lakers Fast Break podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back with the show once again. It's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here. We've been doing a lot of things this holiday season, talking about a lot of things as far as for the best of the year, best of the decade, holiday gift ideas, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you know what? I have to, every single year, have to count on some great things when it comes to the world of books. And who better knows the book world than just some awesome people, but we could only get one today because the other one's too busy trying to go ahead and get those pre-orders for a book, which I'll talk about in a second. But we've got one half of the awesome podcast team right here for you today. It is the Wine, Women, and Words podcast. you got to check it out today as they go each week and interview some of the best authors from around the world as they go ahead and tell you all about the books that they're doing and about the literary world and some of the books that they like to do while they're sipping on a little bit of the, the vino right there for you. It is a fellow national graduate, indeed. It is Michelle Levis. And Michelle, great to have you on once again talking books. And yes, our, our you know, when we talk about you and I graduating from National University, we also have to mention, you know, Mr. Josh Peterson. I know. I hear that name is kind of like a, a mystery around here. This this person who does not listen to you at the podcast, that's so rude. Yes, 50,000 downloads, and thank you so much for everyone who has done so. Maybe three by him, but, you know, he he's like Adam Driver, who doesn't want to listen to his own self, you know, after it's already been done with. So 
I can understand that a little. I one of the least uh, one of my least favorite things when I'm transcribing interviews or editing the show is to hear my own voice. So sometimes I kind of cringe when I'm I I hear myself and go, oh, that's, that's what I sound like. Well, it's funny because you and I had mentioned our favorite friend in life when it comes to podcast editing, and that is Audacity. Thank you, Audacity, by the way. <laughs> and you could tell our voices. You could see right there in the wavelengths. You could see when you're coming up. You could see when you're about to say certain words. You know when you're going to say an uh. So it's just so <laughs> funny that that you say that. After years of seeing Audacity, you see the wavelengths. And yes, I know exactly what you mean. Yes, our, our, our fellow graduate, Josh Peterson, does send his regards to both you and also Diana. I also want to mention as well, before we go ahead and have our conversation here on the book world, that speaking of books, not only do I talk about a great book from Josh, congratulations, you suck, on every single episode, but Diana Tierney, your cohort in crime, as Josh is mine, your cohort in crime, Diana Tierney, She's coming out with her debut novel, The Woman in Red, and it is available in summer 2020. But you can pre-order today and check out all the info on it and all that at Amazon.com. Is that correct? It is. So it's uh, very exciting. We're just super proud of her. Her book, The Woman in Red, comes out August 2020, like you said, and it's everywhere now. It's on Goodreads, if anyone is a fan of Goodreads. Um, it helps keep my to-be-read pile much more manageable and keep track of the books that I already have read so I don't accidentally repeat anything. So she's on Goodreads as an author. You can go ahead and mark her book, Want to Read, for when it comes out. Um, she is, for her author career, she's going under the name Diana Giovinazzo. So if you look her up under Tierney and don't find it, don't panic. It's under Diana Giovinazzo. I wonder if Josh should have done that as well. It should have said like Josh Pettigrino or something like that. I don't know <laughs> for his book, but yes, that is the woman in red. You could pre-order today on Amazon. It just look for it. It's right there for you. Or also as well, like you said, Goodreads, BarnesandNoble.com. I'm assuming as well. As far as I know, it's wherever you can get your hands on it. Sweet, sweet, absolutely. And then you could also go, like Josh has said before, with his book, Congratulations, You Suck, you could also pre walk into a Barnes & Noble and pre-order it there as well. Yes. Well, let's get down to the nitty-gritty when it comes to the literary world. You wanted to talk about great holiday book ideas because it is not too late to order some great books out there because books are something not only you can get quickly, you can get cheap, you can get at a great price, but you can also... Worst comes to worst, and you're really panicking on what to do last minute. You can always, if they know, if you know they have a Kindle or you know they have a Nook, you can go ahead and just buy the digital version and get it zapped right over there. So, I want to hear your thoughts, Michelle, on some great holiday book ideas before we get into your choices for the books of the decade. So, bookworms are notoriously easy to shop for. Um, odds are we share similar passions as far as favorite gifts and gift cards. You really can't go wrong. Honestly, I know some people think that gift cards aren't impersonal, but imagine unleashing a child with free money into a toy store. If you picture that joy, it's the same joy that bookworms feel with when they walk into a bookstore with a gift card. And it's- I have that same feeling if I walk into a Best Buy with that same type of gift card, so. It's, it's guilt-free shopping because you're not even spending your money. And then you start playing the game of, okay, well, I can get these books. And if I go over, I'm still only spending like maybe $5 or $10, whatever you go over. But coffee mugs, I, I always say this every year, but I've already gotten two coffee mugs for Christmas and I've had serious like debates in the morning, which one I want to use because they're both awesome. I mean, any Harry Potter people out there, I have a Harry Potter water bottle and a Harry Potter coffee mug on my Christmas list that I'm not sure people are taking seriously when I say I want that, but, <laughs> but I really do. And that's something if I could ask you real quick when it comes to Harry Potter, because my wife and kids are Harry Potter fanatics as we will soon see when we go back to Universal Studios here in a little bit. But I want to ask you real quick, you know, Harry Potter has maintained its relevance in our pop culture. 
and it's maintained its importance and people still are Harry Potter heads still <laughs> and not necessarily the uh, because of the movies that have come out as far as the you know the the fantastic beasts and whatnot because it's been mixed results so far when it comes to those movies but it's just the 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 sheer Harry Potter love itself as opposed to the Lord of the Rings which has kind of died off since the movies you know the heights of the movie success but I feel with the Lord of the Rings Amazon series that could come out, if it's done well, I think that could bring that to life as well. But explain to me why Harry Potter at this point in time endears itself to a more modern culture than, let's say, the Lord of the Rings, in your opinion, per se. Well, in my opinion, I mean, I think it's just, I mean, first of all, I know people all over the place who are listening to this or watching this right now will probably throw things at my portion of the screen when I say I have not read Lord of the Rings. I have tried, and I did try to read it when I was like 16. Um, so maybe I it, it deserves another shot, but it's a very dense- You're not alone. <laughs> I have tried to, I am audiobooking it at the prison time, just to let you know. I'm, I'm okay. trying to get through it. It's The thing is, if you watch the film first and love the film so much as I do, and in fact, I named two kids after them. It's hard for me to get into the books because there's, it's so vastly different than what I saw on screen. Well, the, the thing that, that got me with the books is that every time at the, you know, the beginning of the first book, every time a new character was introduced, it was like we go over their entire family tree back however many generations. And by the time at least I got back to the story, I forgot what was going on because I was so wrapped up in this one character's family history. But um, but Harry Potter, I don't know what has made it so special, but there's so many ways for readers and fans to immerse themselves in that world. I mean, J.K. Rowling created a world, and she's brilliant for doing this, that you could find your your spot in it. I mean, with the houses alone, you know, Gryffindor and Ravenclaw and Slytherin and Hufflepuff, you know, no matter who the reader was, there was a house that they could relate to, you know? So I think that's part of what it is and and just the brilliance of, of the stories. I'll tell you what, that's excellent analysis right there for you. Once again, I'm talking to Michelle Levis, one half of the Wine, Women, and Words podcast team. You got to check out what they're doing today on the Wine, Women, and Words podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, or if you need more information on them, it is winewomenwordspodcast.com. So I already interrupted you once, and I apologize on the Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter debate I just threw out there. <laughs> Let's get back to your holiday book ideas, because I know you have probably even a longer list after some great ideas, which you did last year as well. The gift cards for the bookstores and, and different ways you can get books, but also the mugs. Just again, you've mentioned that repeatedly, and I just cannot thank you enough because it is something very beneficial and something that book readers really do want. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I understand from the givers end that you know, you may feel like, oh, well, it's a coffee mug. This, you know, this, there, this feels, you know, cheap or, you know, like not something that they, they will love, but honestly, you don't have to spend a ton of money to make someone love the gift that you get them. And I mean, mugs are awesome <laughs> and book lovers need mugs. They also need fuzzy socks and preferably if you can find like themed socks that go with their favorite books. I know, I've seen a million Star Wars socks out there and blankets. I got a fuzzy blanket and it's amazing. And I'm really bummed out that it's Christmas themed. So I have to put it away after December ends. Well, how about hot cocoa? I know this, you're, you're the wine women of words podcast, but doesn't hot cocoa, I mean, you can get actually a lot of specialty hot cocos out there that might also mix in well for, for good, some good book reading. Oh, absolutely. I know. I mean, even my kids got little, hot cocoa kits that, you know, they look like a reindeer and it's super cute and you get a mug and throw that into the mug with a gift card for books and you have made someone's afternoon. Absolutely. Are there any more compelling book titles that, that you feel pe people should go ahead and get as a last minute gift for the holidays? Well, some books that I am loving right now um, that are 
new and new to me. I don't actually know how I think uh, one of them is actually a series on Amazon Prime right now. It's called The Feed. And if you haven't watched The Feed, I highly recommend it. I binged it in like three days, maybe. Total awesome mother of the year parenting was done during those three days. But it is a very eerily believable alternate future where um, basically you take the smartphone and stick it in your brain. So you see all of your text messages and memories and the news, you just see it in in your vision, like hovering. So the first season is on right now. And I finished the first season and said, this has to be a book. And I need to look it up because if it's a book, I need to read it. And the book is amazing. I think it was, it came out a couple of years ago and the season just scratched the very surface of the book. So it's not like you're reading something you've already watched. It's, there's plenty more to, to learn about that world. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? Get ready for Box Art, a gaming docuseries from Pyre Productions and Rob McCallum Films. If you love video games, chances are there's a box cover or cover image that you love and has stuck with you for decades. In our series, Box Art, we travel across North America to visit with the unknown illustrators and artists responsible for creating the most iconic gaming images of all time. What was once scheduled to be a 90-minute documentary is now a six-episode season packed with unbelievable tales that paint a picture of the gaming industry you've never imagined. Just one of the many pop culture projects from Rob McCallum, Empire Productions. Excellent ideas. Just I cannot thank you enough for, for sharing those ideas out there. So you better listen out there, especially you guys and gals out there that have a bookworm in their lives. You know, if you're running around, you forgot the last couple of days, and you're like, oh, my goodness, I forgot, which, you know happens in our daily lives and whatnot. Just please remember some of those great ideas that Michelle has listed off for us. But there's another list I want you to talk about before we head on out. And that is your books of the decade, because I've been talking about with a lot of different people out there from various parts of, of the world on their basis of pop culture and some various aspects of it. And, you know, we can't go ahead and have a list in the decade without having your list or the Wine, Women and Words list of exactly the best literary finds of the decade. And I, I bow down to you as far as your expertise. I can only say one word, one. I, I will give everybody out there Blood, Sweat, and Pixels by Jason Shire of Kotaku. Uh, if somebody wants to know the inside of the video game industry, I've said it before, and actually Josh turned me on to it. This was a, an outstanding read, and I think it's something if people want to get an insight on that. But Outside of that, I think I'm going to go ahead and, and bequeath to you your knowledge on exactly your list of the best literary finds of the decade. So this is going to be my list because if you were asked, Diana, our list would be completely different. Well, maybe not completely. We would I've listened to your episodes before. Yes, that is pretty much true. Yes. The, I'm sure that we, we would have a couple of the same ones. Uh, I would start with uh, a young adult series. Uh, full disclosure, I've only read the first one, but there's a reason behind it. But there's a series uh, out there called Dorothy Must Die. And it's basically not a retelling, but it's a continuation of The Wizard of Oz after Dorothy has defeated the Wicked Witch of the West and she has, you know, taken over Oz. But Dorothy has turned into basically this evil dictator and she's just destroying Oz and the Scarecrow, the Tin Man, the Lion, they're just evil, 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 evil. So a band of uh, witches bring over another girl from Earth to kill Dorothy. It's I've read the first book. I still haven't read the second two, but the first one was amazing. So, and I've heard really great, uh, great things about the other two. So I highly recommend at least starting with Dorothy Must Die and see how you like it. It is, if you love The Wizard of Oz, and I'm a huge fan, it is a little uncomfortable to read Dorothy as such a terrible, terrible human being. But it's, I'm, I'm always very impressed with authors who can take such beloved characters and still find a way to make them their own in their own story. So that is definitely one. 
I highly recommend. Another one is um, any Aaron Morgenstern fans out there will recognize the, t the name The Night Circus. That one came out in 2012. I just looked that up um, before we started the show because she just came out with her second book, which is, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I have to look it up because I just was so focused. The Starless Sea, Starless Sea by Aaron Morgenstern. She just came out with that book uh, last month, I want to say, or early December. So if you love The Night Circus, if you haven't picked up The Night Circus, you need to do it. And then you need to buy the Starless Sea. It's not, it's a completely different story. They're not connected, but she is a phenomenal writer and she has an imagination that I wish I could just like siphon off a little bit of it for myself because she can create worlds that are so beautiful. And to just read her descriptions of the way that she, she creates these scenes in your head, it's mind blowing. Another author that I discovered last year is Christina Henry. She's actually a local author here in Chicago. And I read one of her books. My husband got a book, one of her books for me for Christmas last year. And I read her book and I text Diana and I said, we need to bring her on the show because I need to be her friend. And so we brought her on the show. She has a, uh, duology of a retelling of sorts of Alice in Wonderland. The first one is just called Alice. And it's basically after Alice gets back from Wonderland and she's thrown into a mental hospital because she's saying, you know, she went to Wonderland and had tea with the Mad Hatter and people think she's crazy. And what I really loved about that story is it's not necessarily the Wonderland that we know. Christina Henry kind of transformed all of the characters that you know, like the Caterpillar and the Walrus and the Mad Hatter. They're all like these mob bosses that run different quarters of the, the city. And it's it's very good. The sequel to that is The Red Queen. And then she has... Last Boy, which is a origin story of Captain Hook. And you will not recognize Neverland as she tells it, but it's her own story. And you will hate Peter Pan by the end of the book if you are a huge... Because you're seeing it from Hook's perspective. You are, and it's not the perspective that you would expect. And he starts out completely different from this, you know, evil pirate that we grew up hating as children. And she actually just came out with a newer book earlier this year called The Girl in Red, which was kind of a post-apocalyptic Little Red Riding Hood. A very good book. And she isn't she doesn't stay within the realm of like fairy tale retellings she does her own thing and, and other stories i admittedly have not read her other work yet i've been so obsessed with her fairy tale retellings and origin stories that i've just stayed in that niche but i do know i need to branch out well that's a great list right there for you any others on the you know that you've read that you think stand out for this decade Another one I read earlier, actually in January of this year, was The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle. And I recommend this book to anyone. If I have a chance to bring it up, I will. Um, it's by Stuart Tur uh, Turton. Uh, he's British. And just to give you an idea of how dedicated he was to telling this story and getting it right and nailing the plot line and the plot twists. He wrote 30 drafts of this book and had had a spreadsheet because it, it all takes place in this British manner and everyone's kind of trapped there and you find out why. But uh, it's like an Agatha Christie-ish murder mystery where the character has to figure out who kills Evelyn Hardcastle um, by the end of the day. But there's like some time travel thrown in there and little science fiction, uh, quantum leap stuff. But when he was writing this book, he had a spreadsheet of all the characters and there were like 
12 to 15 characters in this story. And he had a spreadsheet and he could tell you in five minute increments where every single character was in the manor or on the grounds. So if an author is that dedicated to telling the story right, you know it has to be good. And it is amazing. It's an amazing book. Oh, that's uh, that sounds really interesting. I'm actually uh, thinking about going ahead and, and several of these you know, books that you've mentioned, checking it out on Amazon and getting that, get my Kindle kick back up again after I go through the audiobook of, because it's, you know, when, with, when it comes to Lord of the Rings, getting back to that real quickly, Lord of the Rings is probably for me best in that because it's just so long and so much to consume. I think that's probably best on, on the long drives to work and whatnot. So yeah, things of that nature, but the books that you've mentioned as far as for best of decade, I hope everyone takes it in consideration. I know I am as far as things that we need to go ahead and check out for literary reads. And all of these books that you mentioned can be found obviously on all the standard Goodreads, Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, the Nook, the Kindle, all of that. Yeah, absolutely. And keep in mind that we have a very limited amount of time. I could probably give you a list of another 50 books that I would recommend. Those are the ones that when I sat down to make my list for tonight, the ones that came to mind immediately. But I have an entire bookcase behind me that uh, with many, many more titles that I would throw out there. Well, you know, if you ever make up a list like that, I can always throw it on the popculturecosmos.wordpress.com site, which by the way, you still have many articles that people <laughs> still read. And Diana's famous article is still garnering so many comments and so many reads over the course of a month. It's still very mind boggling to me indeed. But yes, you're more than welcome to do that. I'll post it and I'll actually make sure on our social media, everybody knows about it. If you want to take the time to do so, I'd be glad and honored to, you know, if that was the case. So, you know, either which way, we're just so happy to have you part of the show. Once again, it's Michelle Levis from the Wine, Women & Words podcast. You got to check out her show along with Diana Tierney. You got to check out those two when they talk to great authors from around the world each and every week on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, because I just found out Spotify is more popular in Canada than Apple Podcasts. That blew me away. So I was just like, wow. Okay, Spotify, go, go, go. Or wherever you get your podcasts, because they're all over. But before we head on out, I got to ask you, I've spoken about Wyman Awards. I've spoken about Diana's new book, which is coming out next August, which you can go ahead and pre-order today, The Woman in Red. But you got to tell me before you head on out why people need to listen to the Wine Women Awards podcast. Well, because we just like to pick authors' brains. I know, you know, if you hear a book club, I mean, sometimes it's, People don't really read the book. It's just an excuse to get together and chat, which there's totally nothing wrong with that. I have done it many, many times. But we just love to create a super casual atmosphere with the author. And we fangirl over several of them, um, much to our embarrassment. But it's just, I feel like, or I hope at least, that some of the questions that we ask are similar, if not the same questions that you sit there and ask yourself when you're reading the book or when you're done with the book and you go, I wish I could talk to the author and ask her why, why she did this or why he killed off that character when we loved him so much. You know, it's, it's asking the questions that make you want to throw the book across the room in frustration or cry that it's over or start reading it over again immediately. Or, or seek out the author and just throw the book at him. It's like, that's yours. <laughs> Give me my money back. There have been a few authors that we've brought on the show simply because we needed answers. Like we read the books independently outside of the show and text each other and went, okay, we need to bring this author on the show. We've, I have too many questions. So it's a lot of fangirling and that only book lovers will uh, will understand and appreciate. But we have a lot of fun. And I hope that translates into uh, the episodes that people download. And again, if you didn't hear it before from me already, I'm going to tell you once again, it's an awesome podcast. I have heard it many times before. And you need to hear it too. If you're into books of any kind, whether they're the author that they're talking to or 
just Michelle and Diana just talking to each other as they get a little tipsy, which is always <laughs> the funniest part of the show, per se. It is the Wine Women of Words podcast. You got to listen to it to wherever you get your podcasts. Well, Michelle, my fellow national graduate, by the way, National U, go National You know, we never have a mascot name. You know, that that's something I always wanted to figure out. Do we? Uh, if we did, I, I don't remember it. I don't. I, I want to say I don't think so, but I could be wrong. But well, it's not like they have a sports team. You know? No. <laughs> Shout out to everybody at, at NU that's there. We just want to say thank you for, for everything you've done for us. And, uh, you know, Josh you know the the NU slacker that he is you know is uh also sending you his best but last but not least i wanted to wish you and diana both a tremendous holiday this season just a happy holiday merry christmas to both of you and your entire families and safe travels out there and all that and good reading for you this holiday my friend thank you merry christmas to you absolutely it is michelle lavis from the wine women and words podcast so glad to have you here apart once again, each and every year, shouting off great holiday book ideas and the books of the decade this time right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you need your video game fix, be sure to check out Retro City Games. Located in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada, Retro City Games has the cure for all your video game vices. Retro games and games for current consoles, Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, and more. Retro City Games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too. So pick up a few games today at Retro City Games in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada. Retro City Games is your video game metropolis and we're back to close out the show it's the pcc multiverse if you need a listing of where we're at because we're being played all around the world on great radio stations worldwide including our latest radio stations star hit one fm we return to croc radio as of the new year and cuyahoga valley radio network for allowing us onto their station as well and with many of our over 30 different podcast options you can check it out today at Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source on Facebook. My friend, give me an update on what's going on with everything in your world when it concerns Topic Ocalypse, and congratulations, you suck. So congratulations, you suck, now available on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, Powell's Books. And as for Topic Ocalypse, we are posting new episodes. So we just did an episode with a little joint venture of the Pop Culture Cosmos, you know, all... Uh, all the dudes together again, and that's now available on our last episode of PCC, right? Well, it, only a portion of it, because most of it is still on your broadcast. So that if everybody gets a chance and they want to hear the whole entire thing with the Topic Ocalypse group, because it's a lot more there that they can go ahead and listen to, they just need to go ahead and check it out on the, the Topic Ocalypse channel on Podbean and many other great podcast outlets. That is correct. Yeah, the episode will be up after Christmas. Right now, where I'm working on getting our uh, Albums of the Year episode up, and then we'll jump on to Shows of the Year. And uh, next, we're going to be recording our Video Games of the Year, so stay tuned. Well, there you go, my friend. And then, of course, congratulations, you suck. As a last-minute Christmas gift, like we were talking about with Michelle Lavis's book ideas, you can also go ahead and get that on the Kindle, the Nook, or really get it very quick through Amazon.com, also Goodreads.com, and also BarnesandNoble.com as well. It's that time. After two years of speculation of what's going on with the Star Wars universe, it's finally come down to this. Your thoughts on Star Wars Rise of Skywalker, the end of the Skywalker saga after nine films directly two side films all the side stories and series and all the comic books and novels and all the other stuff that's gone into it all these years the decades that have gone into it it all comes down to this so i leave the floor to you my friend your review of star wars rise of skywalker it's still fresh in my mind cam still digesting it the movie is entertaining it has a lot of callbacks to old star wars films a lot of fan service in there. It kind of cancels out, but they don't really talk about a lot of the events that happened in The Last Jedi. And you can see there's some discrepancies between, you know, The Last Jedi and this film. So you know how The, the Force Awakens happened and then The Last Jedi pretty much picks up right after The Force Awakens? 
in this one, they skip. We don't even know how far ahead of time, right? And you're you're starting at this with Kylo Ren, right? And he's heading towards the uh, the, the place where you know you hear the diabolical voice in the trailer. So it starts with that, and then you know it jumps around to uh, to what Ray's been up to. You know, she's she's honing her Jedi skills, and then it shows what Poe Dameron and you know Finn. They got the whole like lethal weapon buddy cop thing going on, chilling with Chewbacca. This is where I kind of had in you know an issue with the film is that you know it's it's cool to see that everyone's been up to different things over the course of the film or, you know, in between this film and the last film, but there's also, it feels like the movie is all motion. This, okay, it's, let me be honest, like, it's hard to talk about this movie without spoiling things, so I'm trying my best here. I mean, you said there's a lot of fan service involved. Yeah, a lot, a lot of fan service, a lot of the things where you're like, you watch Star Wars, and, you know, the last episode, and you're like, oh, it'd be cool if this, this, and this happened, Ray and John's like, nope, not gonna let that happen. And you also spoke about retconning, you know, a lot of stuff that was retconned in The Last Jedi. So I ask you, my friend, was it a good move to retcon the retcon? Because I know you had such a dissatisfaction with The Last Jedi. Yeah, I mean, so here's here's where I stand on it. You know, and I don't know if this is a product of J.J. Abrams taking over this film after The Last Jedi, but it feels like it's the story from the, the, the continuity feels so off between this and the last movie that it, it almost, it makes me wonder, like, if J.J. had control over the whole trilogy, would it be different? You know, I'm not going to go back to a gripe session with The Last Jedi, but it's just, it there, there's so much, the whole movie is just motion, and there's not really a lot of coherent storyline until, like, the, you know, the very end. So it's kind of like, again, is the movie entertaining? Yes. Did I enjoy it? I enjoyed a lot of parts of it. Did it wash the taste of The Last Jedi out of my mouth? Yeah, it, it kind of did. Is it good? It's, it's, I would give it like a six, you know, six or six, 6.5 out of 10. We get closure on a lot of things. We get closure. There's force ghosts and there's, you know, you get more lore on like the, the Sith side. And then there's, there's more, uh, you know, you, you get your, your closure with the whole Kylo Ren and Rey situation. Like they put a bow around a trilogy of films that didn't need to happen. I want to ask you when it comes to Kylo Ren, and the Knights of Ren. I mean, they alluded to very, very briefly in previous films, and they were supposed to be a little bit more of a factor here. Were they? Yeah, they were. I mean, they they're kind of underutilized. Yeah, they they hyped them up like they're this huge, huge deal, and they they got a lot of screen time. But you know what I always loved about Star Wars is the the battle sequences, right? You have the Jedi, the the parts where the the, the lightsaber fights and or just the fights in general. There wasn't they they built the Knights of Ren up like they were going to have a huge part in a huge fight in the end, like the the penultimate fight. Would they you equate do. it to like the Black Order in Marvel, you know, in the MCU, where they were hyped up to be this big thing, and they really just didn't. They they were just kind of a little bit of side characters and nothing. nothing right, anymore. right. You don't really get any backstory on them. You just, you know, they carry on cleavers and spears and things like that. But it makes me wonder, like, what was the purpose of that? It's probably because like it's more like lore oriented as opposed to action oriented. But you don't mind the direction that it went as far as the movie is concerned, away from the events of The Last Jedi. I mean, that's something you prefer to happen as opposed to trying to be consistent with what The Last Jedi was representing. You like the, you like the way it, it veered into a different direction than The Last Jedi. Yeah, I enjoyed it. But I mean, like I said, the movie is all motion. It's a lot of things happening without explanation. You know, and you can see where they, they wrote... Uh, Leia's character in to be more of a a prominent role, try to give her her proper send off, and like it it really is frustrating until you find out where they're going with it, and then you're like, oh, okay, well that kind of makes a little more sense. But yeah, the the film takes itself a little more seriously than the Last Jedi did, but like, there's not really a cohesive narrative in this story. It's all just like leading towards the end game, and you get a lot of things that just happen without explanation so it's like oh that happened well why i don't know but we're moving on like it's that kind of it it jumps a lot and it's it's really just like you get everything you want out of the characters it, it feels like it's a 
Star Wars film with the fan service of a Fast and the Furious movie. You know how, like, when you watch Fast and the Furious, like, it'd be super rad if that car flew into the air, exploded, and Vin Diesel did six backflips and landed on the hood of somebody else's car. That's what happens in Star Wars. Kind of like Six Underground. So what you're telling me is that in a, in a strange way that The Rise of Skywalker is the Star Wars version of Six Underground. In the In the... I guess like in the idea that it has, it gives you a lot of things that you think would be cool. But you know, once you see it materialize, you're like, okay, well maybe I didn't really want that as badly as I thought I did. So the imagery and everything else, the, the effects and everything that surrounds it, the, the impending battle that appears to be on the horizon for those who haven't seen it yet. But if you've seen the trailers, you see that there's obviously going to be some type of momentous, battle that takes place in the movie at some point in time it was that something that was satisfying from that end that's non-ray kylo ren oriented i mean the you know like similar to what we saw with the return of the jedi where you had the main protagonists fighting each other then you had the the you know the space battle going on outside the death star and then you had the battle on the planet is there something similarly structured here within the confines of rise of skywalker you know, it's funny. I didn't actually think about that until you asked that question. There is a big space battle, right? Like between the the fleet of star destroyers we see in the trailer and the rebel or rebel resistance, whatever they're called in in this trilogy of films. There is a big battle there, but it's not as big as you'd think, right? You have all these ships showing up, and it just it doesn't happen the way you think. Like you see Lando Calrissian in the trailer, you see Poe Dameron, like he's mostly like leading people, so you don't really get to see him do his cool little X-Wing maneuvers like he did in The Force Awakens. The battle scene is not what you expect. It doesn't last as long as you expect because they tie it into what happens with the main antagonist of the film. He he affects what happens in the battle, and that in turn affects how Rey finishes the movie. Like Everything I can possibly say about this movie is a spoiler because... It is wrapping up every single plot line that has been unfolded over the course of the past two films. I'll leave you with this, my friend. Was it overall a positive experience enough to recommend for people to go see it? And do you think now that you've seen it, it will have you wanting more maybe three, four years down the line when another Star Wars universe is created and shown on the screen once again? Okay, so this is what I'm going to say. It was a satisfying film. You know, you get all your twists and turns and they wrap it up nicely. It has satisfying conclusions. But this film moves so fast, you don't get a lot of character development, don't get a lot of plot development. They they pick a path and they just careen down that path until the movie's over. And again, like it's it comes to a satisfying conclusion, but it feels like it, this whole trilogy of films is unnecessary. And that's not just based on this film. It's based on the other films as well. It's just it. Am I making sense? Like, it's a satisfying movie, and I would say go watch it for sure, but it just, at the end of it all, I don't feel like this whole new trilogy of films needed to happen. Well, something like we discussed before at the beginning of the show, that we had a series which 70s and 80s was really good. Then you had the prequels, which were not so good by most people's standards. And then you had this series of films, which, for the most part, outside of critical acclaim for The Last Jedi, because even though it was critically acclaimed, People were, like like you said before, very polarizing to a lot of individuals out there. And for the most part, for me, I will say that the experience of this series of films, in fact, the entire ones, including Solo and Rogue One, were just okay. So, you know, I can see why you say that they didn't need to happen because nothing really blew it out of the water for you of any of these movies since 2015. Yeah, and it's just from a story point of view, though, the First Order felt like a minor threat. You know, they tried to, like, pull it all together with the the antagonist that you'll see in this film. But it just, it still doesn't feel like the stakes were all there because there's a lot of things that don't make sense. Well, Josh, I cannot thank you enough for going ahead and being on today's show. Plus, also give a shout out to our fellow National University alum, Michelle Levis, for being on the show as well. Any last thoughts on the way out? Go see Star Wars, bring it into this whole trilogy and let us know what you think.
because I I would really be curious to see what audience perception is outside the Rotten Tomatoes and the film snobs out there. So go see it, send us an email, and let me know what you think. Go ahead and let us know, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com, or you can let us know on Twitter at popculturecosmo as well. Well, it's always been a great time talking to you, my friend. And on Monday, we're also going to have more on Star Wars Rise of Skywalker and so much more in the coming days, plus more lists of the decade as well with many great guests coming along the way just before we get to the end of the decade ourselves. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the PCC multiverse. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. Okay, auditions for the new Earth Station Who co-host. Take one, go ahead. Hello, Stonehenge, who takes the Pandora Cup, takes the universe, but, bad news everyone, cause guess who, ha, listen, you lot you're always in about, it's really very distracting, could you all just stay still a minute because I am talking. Not too shabby, can you close this up? Earth Station Who, a fun mashup celebrating over 50 years of the Doctor Who universe. You never know where the TARDIS is going to go next. Earth Station Who podcast can be found at www.earthstationwho.com. Earth Station Who is a proud member of the ESO network. We are up on Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Peace and we are done. Did I pass the audition? We'll get back to you. Next. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.